Welcome to another episode of Brewcast here on SB Nation's Maze and Brew. You can also check us out Maze and Brew Podcast on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Well, we got to open. I'll address the elephant in the room. Michigan did not win the national title like I so brazenly said they would. <laughs> um, they ran into a buzzsaw in Villanova. We will discuss that. It was still a fun weekend. The Loyola game had a lot of people feeling a lot of different emotions, which we'll discuss here in a minute. So we'll talk about we'll talk about the Loyola game. We're going to discuss the national title game because you know we'd be remiss if we didn't do that. And then we'll kind of wrap things up by talking about the ne- next year, the future, and things that we are expecting to see out of this program and, and what we do now that it's over. Like, how do you even fill that gap? So I'll start by Loyola. So this is a, a game that Michigan comes out. You know, I believe they're down 29-22 at halftime. We're getting good looks. We're playing good defensively, but just did not uh, was not able to put anything together in the first half. And and for reactions to that, I bring in now my co-host Chris Castellani and Luke Giardi. Fellas, before we talk about the games, uh, did you enjoy yourself since we last talked? I did. Yes, I did. I did. Absolutely. I've had a lot of time to uh, reminisce and reflect, uh, and we'll talk more about this a bit later. But uh, I, right now, uh, I'm feeling a lot more joy than I think a lot of other Michigan fans are, are feeling. And I wish they would feel that, uh, you know, upon upon further review. Yeah, it's one of those deals where, you know, Monday night was such, at least for me personally, was such a kick in the groin. Yeah. And we, we kind of, we regroup yesterday. We, we kind of get back to you know, living life after Michigan basketball Um, yesterday being Tuesday, this is Wednesday night when we're recording and we talked about it. We said, do we want to record today? And I know you guys are both down, but for me, I I wasn't quite ready yet because I wanted to be able to come into this and not take emotion out of it because that emotion is still there, but I wanted to be able to think critically. And I think yesterday was still a little bit too soon for that. So um, here today uh, we're going to break down this game. We're going to break down, uh, the game that came before it, and we're going to talk about what's next. I think it's it's a good time to kind of take a look at the state of Michigan basketball now that, you know, it's been a few days for us. It's The season is over. The champions has been crowned. So I think that's a good way to do that. So we'll start off by talking about this game against Loyola. I just talked about how they kind of opened things up early on, and we're slow. And I put out a video at, at halftime that, you know, I don't even know why I put out the video because I didn't have any answers. I, it was one of those things where, they were the better basketball team. They showed they were the better basketball team, but the scoreboard did not reflect that. I thought that John Beeline summed it, summed it up perfectly after the game. I, I don't think he's ever had a game where his team had one assist, one assist and eight turnovers in a single half. I just, I don't know if that's ever happened. If it has happened before, I know that it's far and few between, but that was a story. Eight turnovers. Loyola was playing great defense. There's no question about that, but Michigan, I don't know. They came out. I don't know if they're timid. They were tight, anything like that. Maybe Loyola just had a little more energy, but one assist, eight turnovers. That was really the story of that first half. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I, I was worried after the first 10 minutes, because I, I really felt like uh, Loyola looked like shit um, in, in the first 10 minutes. They looked scared. They looked wide-eyed. Um, 
And I felt like after those first 10 minutes when Loyola couldn't hit a thing, I felt like Michigan missed a major opportunity, opportunity, I almost said opportunity, uh, a major opportunity to take a 10, 15 point lead. I really thought it could have been that much. I think they were up seven or eight uh, at one point, but I, I felt like it should have been more. They missed a lot of open shots and uh, the last 10 minutes of the first half were just a complete disaster. Open looks, missed shots, and I, I, I'm not gonna lie. And part of it's that I, I'm, I'm negative about a lot of stuff. I did not think, even with 10 minutes left in that game, I did not think Michigan was gonna win. It, it just, they just weren't playing their game. Xavier Simpson, who all year had been a, a masterful floor general. Uh, was turning the ball over every time he touched it. Um, it. It seemed like it just wasn't their night. And once again, uh, they they proved us wrong, m- mostly uh, behind, due to the fact that we saw a, a performance uh, by Mo Wagner that's going to live forever in Michigan history as one of the ultimate put-the-team-on-my-back and I'll carry you uh, performances. Yeah. And the thing about that game too, is that it's sort of an inverse for me, how I felt about it. I, so <laughs> my dumbass tweeted out like five minutes into that game that this looks like varsity against the JV because it did look it like did. that. Like Michigan was the, they were the more athletic team. They were, they were better rebounding the ball. And like you said, they had some of those open looks. They just weren't falling. And even when they were down seven, I'll put it this way there was never a point in that game where I truly felt like they were going to lose. Now, when they came out of the locker room at halftime and sort of went down, I uh, went from seven to 10. I think maybe yeah. even Loyola was up to, up by 12 at some point. I was like, Oh, this ain't great, but it's, I never doubted that they would win that game because they were to me, they were the more talented team. They were the, I mean, at every position, it just wasn't, it was one of those deals that where, you know, maybe even, in a lot of ways, kind of how Monday night was where no matter what you did, that other team was just better at every position than you were. So, um, and that game was, it was a little more stressful than I expected it to be, but I, there was at no point that I ever think they were going to lose that game. I don't know at what point it was in the first half, but I, it was at some point that I realized that Michigan is, is better at pretty much every position and that's when I came to the conclusion Michigan was in a no-win situation on Saturday, other than obviously you know winning the game and, and moving on to the national championship. But in terms of perception, Michigan was completely in a no-win situation. It's a team that they should have beat, but it, it was a team in Loyola who was up seven at halftime. If Michigan loses that game, I, I came to the grips that, wow, this would be an all-time letdown. We talked about it on the last show, how much of a letdown it would be. I didn't realize how big of a letdown it was going to be if Michigan were to lose that game until they started playing the game. I was like, man, Michigan is just so much better than these guys. They cannot lose this game. And, uh, you know, thankfully they didn't because of, uh, you know, what what game it kind of just slightly reminded me of. And it's a bit of a stretch, but anytime I have a chance to reference a victory over Michigan State, I'll do it. You guys remember in 2014 uh, when Michigan played Michigan State at home 
And I want to say Stauskas had like zero or four or two or four points in the first half. And then Beeline basically told him, look, dude, Queef, Queef Dappling's guarding you. You can shoot over him. And he went off in the second half. Oh, yeah, that was the uh, – oh, no, I'm, I'm thinking – I definitely remember that game, but that wasn't the Nick Stauskas obviously blowing kisses at the Breslin. That's the one I remember, but you're talking about the whole yeah, game. It was same season, but it was it was basically – it was the game that cl- clinched Nick Stauskas's Big Ten Player of the Year honors. And what Wagner did reminded me a little bit of that, though he played great in both halves, but especially in the second half. He played as good as not only I've seen him play, but as good as a college basketball player could really play in in, in not just scoring, rebounding. He obviously had a double double, I think fifteen rebounds, but passing. There were there were multiple moments that stand out to me where he was just delivering uh, passes that were uh, that only somebody of his height. Uh, and only a, a, a ridiculously smart player could make. There's two that stand out. One is when they had him trapped in a corner, and he just turned around and threw a bullet to Duncan Robinson, who then hit Simmons, who who made a three. And then the other one was uh, later in the game when he, he threw a bounce pass to uh, Charles Matthews, who ended up making a layup. It, it was a, a remarkable performance, and obviously, without him, they don't play on Monday. But I, just, I was just impressed. You know, say we will. Obviously, it's against Loyola, so people are going to have that kind of caveat of saying, well, they should have won. You know, you don't get to the Final Four on accident. It, Loyola was a damn good basketball team, and they deserved to be there, and they played their asses off. But Michigan responded in the second half. Uh, they shot better. They never panicked, and uh, they finished really strong. I mean, talk about closing a game. That was that was Mariano Rivera in October uh, levels of closing. Just shut the door and left no doubt and made their free throws. Man, you could just see the the deflation in Loyola. It, it was literally, you know, we, we, we talked about, we like our, our Batman and, you know, DC movies, Marvel, Marvel movies and whatnot. That was Bane breaking Batman's back. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering what would break. Your spirits or your body. Yeah, no, it was, I was just going to let you have that moment there. It sounded like you needed it out of your system. Well, I, I could go on for days. Tom Hardy has been kicked ass. Amazing. Saying. You know yeah. what I thought of when you said uh, you're talking about the game that Mo Wagner had? I thought of you guys have seen the the Chappelle show with Prince playing uh, basketball against Charlie Murphy. Game blouses, yes. baby. Game blouses. It just it reminded me of uh, the quote: "This cat could ball, man. He was crossing cats over like Iverson. He was getting rebounds like Charles Barkley. It's incredible." So yeah. that, that Charlie that Murphy, was the, kind of the greatest storyteller of our generation. Oh my god! Charlie, side side note: Charlie Murphy, and this might be controversial. Much funnier. Not going to say more talented. Much funnier to me than Eddie. Murphy. But that's that's like retroactive because Eddie Murphy in the eighties, before we were around, he was like a storm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I, which is why I still say more talented Eddie Murphy because I never saw Charlie Murphy give a performance like 
Eddie Murphy gave gave in Dreamgirls. Yes, I saw Dreamgirls. I'm a fan of musicals. (laughs) He was excellent in that movie. But uh, yeah, anyway, and end of end of tangent. Back to uh, Michigan. Well, no, I'm going to stay on this tangent here. Speaking of movies, this is a complete sidebar. Have either of you seen I, Tanya yet? No, yes, I, I loved not. it. I saw it twice. I, Tanya is amazing. That might be yeah. my favorite, like, Margot Robbie, like, performance. That was so good. I watched it. I thought, you know, I didn't see Three Billboards, so I can't necessarily comment on Francis uh, McDormand's performance, but... Man, oh man, Margot Robbie was good in that movie. Gosh, and uh, so good. I mean, one, I mean, beside the fact, besides the fact that, um, genetically, she's arguably the most perfect woman ever constructed. Huh. She, she, she can act like a motherfucker. She was a, a performance that reminded me of, while not as good, was you ever seen Monster with Charlize Theron? Oh yeah. It rem- that transformation it reminded me a bit of that, uh, and also a lot of people talk about Al- Allison Janney. She won the Oscar, but for some reason, whenever I see a, a Marvel movie actor in a-, a role and he gives a great dramatic performance, I always feel the sense of pride. Like, yeah, that's our guy. Sebastian Stan is a great actor, Bucky, and I thought he he was awesome in that. And his his crazy fat friend I thought was funny. Yeah, I, I was telling my roommates about that the other week. I, I love that movie. It's nuts, but I love it. Well, you, now that we're now that we're off the rails, like yeah, talking cares, about yeah. people in like Marvel that we've seen in Marvel movies, and like you ever go back and like see movies from before they were in Marvel that you had no idea they were even in. Yeah, uh, Sebastian yeah. Stan was like one of the like frat bros in Hot Tub Time Machine. I don't know. Yeah, he was the villain in that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh Which, my god! Not to me, one of my favorite comedies, and I, I, that came out about a year after The Hangover did. I like Hot Tub Time Machine more than The Hangover. I think it holds I, up better because when The yeah. Hangover came out, people watched the shit out of The Hangover. I've seen that yeah. movie so many times; it's not even. It funny is a to me. classic. I mean, it, yeah, and I I think it's great. But to me, the biggest difference is that in The Hangover. As funny as it is, all of those main characters are jerks. All of them are assholes, and it's hard to root for any of them. In Hot Tub Time Machine, John Cusack is just inherently likable. So I was like, you know what? I can I can kind of root for him. Uh, and Rob Corddry is is he needs to get more roles. I think Rob Corddry is a, a hysterical comedian. And yeah, he was the uh, Sebastian Stan was the. Uh, the guy who was obsessed with red dawn. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. it. Oh, well. I don't know if this constitutes so. and you guys are way better with the actors names than me. Uh, Michael Pena, actually, I think that just came to my mind. Uh, so I don't know if he counts because he's Ant-Man's like best friend and he's not the main character, obviously. Yeah. But when I was recently yeah. watching gone in 60 seconds, because I love that movie, Nick Cage, Angelina Jolie, there's magical on screen together in that movie. Um, Michael Pena is actually in that movie as like uh, a gangster guy for one scene, and it blew my mind. Oh. You faded out for a second. I'm sorry. What movie? What gone movie in sixty me? seconds? Okay, yeah. Because uh, when I think him and Nick Cage, I think uh, I think of World Trade Center, which he that was like his second, I think, big starring role, and that's a great movie. Um, 
Never saw that actually. Well, man, we got to yeah, start it, compiling a list because I feel like we all kind of bounce movies off of each other that someone hasn't seen or one of us hasn't seen. So we'll, we'll come up with some sort of list for that. It, it came out the same year, and I think it's just a couple months after United ninety three did, uh, which is another nine eleven movie, and it's not nearly the just intense. United ninety three uh, is crazy, map. man. Yeah, it's it's not nearly as intense or as as emotional or as good as what Paul Greengrass did with United ninety three, but it, it is still really good. And another one of those things, whenever people tell me that Nick Cage is a terrible actor, when given the right script, he can be good. He can, he can be good, but he overacts way too much. And I, he chooses his scripts by dartboard. <laughs> I think. Well, he doesn't. He, like, he doesn't choose his scripts. He just takes everyone that he gets. Like there is no yeah, choice to be made. Well, he's like broke now, like, so it like, makes sense. Yeah, like Kick Ass. I think that was that's eight. Wow, that's eight years ago now. He was awesome Very in Kick so, Ass. Yes. And then he hasn't like, done anything since. Well, let me say this: okay. people, if people listening to this, I'm sorry, but if you were, if this hasn't been enjoyable for you. Where we're about to go next probably won't be any more enjoyable. Probably will be a whole lot less enjoyable. And also, name if you're listening to this and this bothers you, I want you to name one podcast you've listened to that has had this type of 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 tangent and been able to keep up the momentum that we had already started. You can't. Yeah, you can't. Change Incredible the content. Here on the it's not possible. Exactly. Uh, but we're going to talk about something that's not quite as as cheery. And you know, we kind of buttered uh, it up with the the movie talk. It's the national title game now. We watch, mm-hmm. All of us here watched it. I wish I had watched anything the hell else. I would watch any bad <laughs> Nicolas Cage movie. I would watch... There's a lot of things I would watch over how that game went after about the first seven or eight minutes of it. That was... Mm-hmm. Um, like, if we're... I still... I, if go, if go we're it. talking about movies still uh, with this national title game... I feel like this this movie would have been like pay it forward. It was good for a bit, and then it just ends tragically, and it leaves you empty. That's fair. Chris, do you have a, a parallel? Uh, as far as a movie goes, I, you know, I'm sure at some point I could think of one. I'm trying to think of a movie that starts off awesome, and then just just goes into a, just a complete, uh, you know, downward spiral near the end. Um, it, it, you said the first seven or eight minutes. I really thought the first, like, 15 to 17 minutes, I thought Michigan had played great. Yeah, you know, really outside of, was it uh, Brunson or DiVincenzo who... DiVincenzo was, went nuts. Well... Yeah. DiVincenzo went nuts, but who was the one that hit the three? Like there was the, to make it a to make nine, nine point, point game. game, right? It I was, think that was, that was Bronson. Was that the that was the exact like ensuing possession where it should have been goaltending? So it was what like a the five ball hit the there? backboard. How did and no one on the broadcast said anything? But Nance and well, listen, Nance and Grand Hill and Rafferty, they were all like, "Oh, what a block!" It clearly hit the backboard. Listen, let me say this. I am not going to be the guy that sits here and complains about officiating because at the end of the day, Michigan would have lost that game even with the the absolute most pristine. Perfect that was a five point ever. swing. Correct. Correct. 
Right. Correct. But let me say this. I know that I think at the end of the day, the fouls were pretty even and they were even pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty much throughout the whole game. But some of the touch fouls that were, that Michigan was getting called for was, I don't have the words to describe it. I mean, it's, it was ridiculous. I mean, you could have, I believe there was one time Jordan Poole got like literally clotheslined in the paint. No call, Mm -hmm. no whistle. And then coming back the other way, someone like blows in the ear of Jalen Brunson and it was, it was foul two shots. I'm like, what? I I don't understand. So I think that the officiating while it was not the, the reason that Michigan lost that game and people will will always argue that, Oh, well it changed. It changes the momentum. It changes the out. Like, are you a strength? Like these, are you a string theory expert? Do you know that for sure? Like you can't, you can't say that the way that Michigan lost, like I'll put it to you this way. I did a couple of radio hits in the last few days. And the only way for me to describe it is this. If you would have told me that they would hold Jalen Brunson to nine points and yep. pretty much keep Macau bridges in yep. check. I'm saying, dude, Michigan is Michigan won the national title, but this, this DiVincenzo, I mean, it's not just, it's one thing if you run into a guy who just gets hot, but he was freaking everywhere. He was blocking mm-hmm. shots. He had amazing passes. It's like, dude, where did this come from? And and I'm guilty of this a little bit, maybe downplaying his how good of a player he is and what his impact was. I had tweeted out from the main account that it was their Spike Albrecht. No, like this dude was a starting level player that just didn't start because he happened to be the sixth best player on a, a team that had a five loaded, uh, a loaded five man starting lineup. It was Luke Hancock times 10. I, I felt like in, in that game. And um, I mean, it just shows the depth of that Villanova team. That's the thing, man, is he was, he plays the same position as Jalen Brunson, who was national player of the year. This was not Spike Albrecht. This was not Luke Hancock. This dude, white Blake Griffin, just went absolutely nuts in this game, and there was nothing Michigan could do about it. They played great defense. He just rose up and hit shots over him from 25 feet. There's nothing you can do. But to your point on the officiating, I agree 100%. Uh, The officiating, uh, while some bad calls here and there, really didn't play a huge factor. Michigan actually had their chances. They had five, five, um, they had five missed opportunities on and ones where they had layups. The ball almost goes in and it rolls out. If they convert those and Charles Matthews actually had two of them and he ended up going over four from the free throw line in those instances. So you, you talk about points taken off the board just by Michigan there. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just how it goes. Guys, is it troubling to either of you at all that in what ended up being, we kept saying, you know, you know, four, four of the five games in the tournament, Michigan hasn't played that well. Villanova played out of its mind against Kansas. Is water Water's going to find its level in this game. But is it troubling to you now that we, we watched the whole tournament run? Five out of the six games, you can honestly say Michigan did not play very well. I've is got, that a troubling was that troubling to you at all? I've got some numbers here, man. So Michigan in the NCAA tournament, six games, averaged six point eight three point makes 
on 23.8 attempts for 28.7%. If you do not factor in that A&M game, they shot 27 of 119 or 5.4 for 23.8 for 22%. Yeah. How does that happen on a team that shot 37% throughout the year on a ton of attempts? I mean, how do you lose 15% in the tournament? I have a theory, but I want to hear what Chris has to say first. It's it's really difficult to explain. Um Obviously, you're going to clip a, a you know a, a few percentage points because you're playing against you know you're playing in the tournament. There's going to be pressure. You know, I'll, I'll clip you know some percentage, you know, some of that total uh, just based on that. But um, it is it is shocking, uh, and it, it's difficult to explain. It's uh, tough to look back on and say you know. What if they would have shot better? But, I mean, they played for the national championship, so it's hard to complain. But I I think that there were certain players who all tournaments never seemed comfortable. I mean, Xavier Simpson is obviously the biggest um, standout. Uh, Isaiah Livers really did nothing all tournament. Isaiah Livers didn't score in either Final Four game. It, it yeah, and he was he was barely noticeable um, the entire uh, tournament. So it, it was surprising uh, that they couldn't match the heights that they were able to match, um, or even come close to the heights that they were able to reach uh, when they played in Madison Square Garden. But it once it's still difficult to complain because. Uh, they played for the national championship, and even I, I just feel like even if they would have hit some threes against Villanova, they they still would not have won. They just ran into as as Anthony and as a couple of other people have said a buzzsaw, um, a juggernaut, and so so I it, it's weird. It, it's kind of an anomaly. But in a weird way, it also speaks to how good this team was defensively that they could overcome poor shooting nights and still play for the national championship. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of play, I guess to a certain extent I'm playing devil's advocate here because I don't necessarily believe this, but something that ran through my head as I was decompressing and kind of coming down from the emotions of, of what Monday night ended up being and, and this may have been the bargaining stage or, or, you know, the stages of grief, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But do you guys think it's possible that this – we've a lot's been made about Michigan's quote-unquote easy road to the championship game, which I don't believe that any road is easy to get to the championship game because you have to win five games in a row. But when you look at all the teams that they played, they were – I'm not until they got to Villanova. I'm not sh- afraid to say that Michigan was pretty much head and shoulders better than every team they played. Uh, in the game that I thought would give them the most trouble was the Texas A&M game, and that was the game, the one game that they kind of went off. Do you guys think? And I don't even know how to to phrase this as something that went through my head, but do you think it's possible that Michigan was so hot down the stretch at the end of the year? They were so 
Um, obviously winning the Big Ten tournament, beating Michigan State and Purdue on back-to-back days. Mm-hmm. Do you think that two-week layoff is what ultimately cooled down their offense and cost them? I don't think there's any question. That's that's absolutely it. I mean, Michigan's offense last year got really hot in the Big Ten tournament en route to a Big Ten championship. They didn't have the layoff, and they went into the tournament pretty good offensively. I mean, if people don't remember... Michigan was uh, missed Derek Walton open three pointer away from going to the elite eight last year against Oregon. They beat Louisville, the two seed and their offense was very good. I think it's absolutely that layoff that really ended up doing Michigan in because look at the offenses for all the big 10 teams, you know, Ohio state struggled. Michigan state obviously struggled probably the most Purdue didn't you know, perform that great offensively up to their normal capacity. I think absolutely the layoff is the cause of this. I'll agree with you in one third of that. I think the first weekend, absolutely. I I, I just think after the first weekend, I mean, you, you, you get, it's easy to say that in retrospect. I get that now. Yeah. And it kind of it discounts a lot of, you know, because you come out of that first weekend of the tournament and you absolutely steamroll a team the first game you play out of there. Right. I also uh, think they played some good defenses. Yeah, for sure. Um, Like I said, if you want to... The Florida State game, to me, wasn't necessarily them missing shots. It was more a case of you played a team that was built to give you problems, that was long and athletic and and things like that. So... um, you know, it wasn't really until, you know, I think they left a lot of points on the floor against Loyola mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And then against Villanova, you got to, I didn't, I was telling people, I don't think getting into a shootout with them was going to be the best idea. But if you were going to keep up with them at all, you better make those shots. And they just didn't. Right. And, and this is going to sound, especially coming from me, like the most pussify dweeby thing uh, that I could possibly say, but it's it maybe it's because it's only been two days. It's really hard for me to criticize this team at all uh, because of where of of where things ended. Yeah, um, they got steamrolled by a much better team in the national championship. And I still, like, I can't get that out of my head of how amazing that was. So it's hard for me to be super objective in that particular case. There were a lot of things that this team did wrong, but the thing that the ultimate thing that they had to do right, which is beat the team that they were playing, they did right for 14 consecutive games and made it to the national championship. So this is one of those rare moments in which I'm actually the optimist. Yeah. And I had done the blog kind of the day of leading up to the game and through the game blog on the site. And, you know, I think it somewhere just around coming out of the end of the half was probably the lowest point because you go, okay, at least they're only all things considered. They're only down nine. You go on a nice little run here. The first four or five minutes, you're right back in this game. And then, it went the opposite way. The lead extended uh, mm-hmm. for Villanova. And I think that was probably the lowest point of the night. And then 
once you got over that initial blow and I wrote this, let me get, I want to grab the exact quote, uh, way to be prepared. Um, (laughs) 1043, PM just choked on water and survived. This night is the worst. So that was probably the low point. Mm -hmm. Um, 11 PM totally sucks waiting all day and talking yourself into a win only to get kicked, only to get kicked square the groin. Um, I tweeted from the main handle at 11.06. One day Michigan will be on the positive end of these games. But did you also know the sun is going to explode one day and we're all going to die? He at Arby's. Um, and then around 11.14 said, numbness sets in, no anger, no sadness, just want this to be over. I imagine most folks felt this earlier than I. And I followed that up. Well, I followed up with two more things that I'll really kind of recap here. Said eleven seventeen p.m. As I sit here, Michigan's down sixty nine to fifty. It doesn't feel like a magical run that got extinguished. Most of this group will be back next year. They're going to be a factor again, and who knows? They may end up being next year's Villanova if guys like if a guy like Wagner comes back and, and Matthews comes back, and you add some of these these guys that they're going to add. Who knows? And I at eleven twenty eight, it was probably about I want to say a minute and a half to two minutes left. I said. I turned the game off. I don't want to hear Jim Nance's stupid end of the game phrase that he's rehearsed for weeks. I don't want to see the confetti. I don't want to see Michigan walk off the floor with its, with their heads hung low. I think that would hurt more than the game did. And that's kind of where I left off. And I kind of, that was my springboard into Tuesday. And I kind of decompressed from that. And I guess my takeaway from all of this is that I know on the last show I said, I picked Michigan to win the national title. I did it weeks. And, and the reason I stuck to that is because I picked them to do it a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But as I sat there, it, it didn't, this wasn't a choke. This wasn't like losing to Michigan state in the rain this past year. This wasn't like, you know, the JT was short game for football. This was a game where honestly, they had no business winning that game. And, Outside of a good open to the game, they were never really seriously like it never really felt like they were going to win. So that's kind of where I, I'm at with all of it. It, it. it sucks. It's, you know, it's it's sad. You wanted to see that it wasn't a dream season because I feel like when you say dream season, the connotation there is that it's not going to happen again. And then you didn't deserve to be there. This team won like 16 straight games. They deserve to be there. Uh, they just played a, a much better basketball team that, um, and I think what we all feared would maybe happen was that it would be a 2009 North Carolina versus Michigan State type deal where, you know, it was just never really close. And Michigan hung around in that game way longer than State did in their game. So it kind of it kind of is what it is, and you move on from it. And I guess what I asked now, uh, we'll we'll talk about, you know, the future and things like that. I think maybe we'll do that on our next show. Uh, I'd like to get a guest in here and kind of get some outside perspective. But now that it's over, it's been, you know, three weeks of the tournament, another week of the Big Ten tournament, and then maybe another two weeks before that since they had lost to Northwestern. So we've been kind of on a Michigan basketball bender uh, for, you know, the better part of the last month and a half. And, and, We've got the Frozen Four this weekend. That that'll be cool to watch on Thursday and Saturday. But you know, other than that, how do you 
how do you fill the gaps here? Because my our entire weekends have been Michigan basketball for the last four weeks. Thank God that the week of Nance continues starting tomorrow. Anyway, we get the get the Masters anyway. I'm a huge Masters guy, so uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But other than that, man, the Tigers suck. They're going to be terrible all year. The Pistons are about to get eliminated from playoff contention tonight. As we record this, they are down 95 to 82 in the fourth quarter. And uh, I don't, I don't know. Like it used to be Tigers baseball, but they're not going to be that fun to watch. So, and and this might not completely answer your question, but I, I want to say this because I don't know. Maybe it's just because I like hearing the sound of my own voice, but. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I am of an incredibly sensitive person. Uh, I don't know if it's not to get too personal or bring the show down. I don't know if it's cause, um, you know, I've, I've grown up with, with depression or what, but I cry very easily. And uh, I watched the whole game. I, I, I watched until after Jim Nance did his, uh, you know, pre-rehearsed call. I did watch the confetti and, uh, and uh, I cried, not because they lost, uh, because they did lose to a better team. And I think we can all agree that Villanova does a great job of of representing themselves in the best way possible. Jay Wright just seems like a, a cool guy and a great coach, and um, you know they deserved it. But I, I, I thought about this season as a whole. Michigan, you know, realistically could have played 41 games this year. They played all of them. They played every single one. And, and I'm not going to mimic what I talked about on my on my video on Twitter. I'll just say that you brought up a dream season. To me, you know, that there's a lot of different ways to define a dream season, but to me it was a dream season in certain ways because it part of what makes a dream season is the unpredictability and coming out of nowhere. This team did – this team had the year that Purdue and Michigan State thought that they would have. And – I look back at all of the all of the memories beating every team in the Big Ten, uh, beating up on MSU twice, winning the Big Ten tournament, Jordan Poole's shot against Houston, making it to the Final Four, making it to the national championship. Uh, this was beyond special, and I, I'm I just feel. I've been reflecting on it a lot, and I feel a need to say this because I know that losing against Villanova hurts a lot. It hurts me. I don't. I. I to quote Moneyball, I hate losing a hell of a lot more than I love winning. But thinking back on what this team did this season, it was there was a certain amount of magic to it, and it solidified. John Beeline as one of the greatest coaches that this university's ever had. And I think when people talk about the the Michigan way, you're getting a Michigan man, the way that this team represented themselves, the way that they portrayed themselves, the way that 
they carried themselves. Uh, if if somebody wants to talk about the Michigan way, a perfect example is the 2017-2018 uh, Michigan basketball team. This was a special, special season. Going forward, I think they're going to be very, very good. But I, it's tough for me to look forward to, or not look forward, but but to look ahead to the next season because I want, uh, and I think it's a, you know, it's a society thing where we want to say, Oh, what's going on next. I can't do that because I want to enjoy what just happened and the memories that this team made. I do think Mo Wagner will go pro. I don't think Matthews will go pro. It's possible, but I I don't think so. And I think they're going to be very good next season. But I don't want to ignore what this team did and how special it was and how how uh, thankful I am to the seniors, to, to Duncan Robinson and Muhammad Ali Abdul-Rahman and Austin Hatch. Uh, this was an amazing, amazing experience. And a lot of times people will ask me, why do you get so wrapped up in sports? Uh, you know, why do you put so much into it when a lot of it ends in disappointment? Well, you know, as many disappointments as I've had as a sports fan, it's all worth it when you have a season like Michigan has just had. And I know I'm rambling, but I I, want to make this point very clear because I know a lot of people are disappointed. You're going to reflect and look back and realize this was magic. And I'm so proud to say that I'm a fan of the Michigan Wolverines. When I was, I, I grew up in Lansing. I grew up in East Lansing. And I had to make a decision at a young age whether or not I wanted to be a Michigan or Michigan State fan. And my dad went to Michigan. Um, and I chose to be a Michigan fan. And there were a lot of moments in which I, I questioned whether or not I made the right decision. Seasons like this reinforce the fact that I absolutely made the right choice. And uh, what the two words that keep going through my head are thank you. So sorry for rambling, but I really wanted to get that point across. No, I think that you put it away that I maybe am not ready to put it yet. I think it's still it's still kind of fresh on my end. Uh, but you know, I don't disagree with anything that you said. I, at the end of the day, when you look at this season as a whole and from start to finish, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year. This was supposed to be a year where, you know, I thought coming into it that maybe they had second weekend potential. Uh, But when you look at just the way everything went, the glimpses that we saw when, you know, when everything started to come together, it was, it was a pretty, pretty special picture uh, painted by a pretty special guy in John Beeline and, and what ended up being a home two a couple of home run hires and with the assistant coaches from, Uh, yeah, from Illinois. That's going to go overlooked, but they did an unbelievable job this year. Yeah. And when I look at, when I look at the things that made them good this year, I don't think that it was, this team is not done yet. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I think they have a chance to be back next year with Mo Wagner or not. And I, I just, you know, it's one of those deals where, it's still, it sucks. And one of these, one of these days, 
good things will happen. I mean, not that this was a bad thing that happened in Michigan, but I can't think of a fan base in a program that deserves more good fortune than, than Michigan basketball and and Michigan football. And And I was hoping that, I think maybe the biggest reason I was hoping that they would close the deal would be to, as I wrote it, it would be a, a fran or a, not a franchise, a program changing national title. I felt like if they, and it still may be a program changing type of deal. I think in it terms is. Of, I still think it is. Yeah. Uh, wiping the stench of, and I'll call it a stench, the stench of the fab five era out and kind of having, listen, I'll put it to you this way. When, if there's a Mount Rushmore of Michigan sports and you're throwing, you know, Fritz Chrysler up there, Fielding Yost, Bo Schembechler, John Beeline for what he's done in his now 10 plus years of Michigan. Agreed. Deserves to be as beloved, if not more than any of those guys. Uh, Maybe not the guys that kind of laid the foundation, but this may be a topic for another day. But if we're talking about the more accomplished coach, the guy that, meant I don't want to say meant more to the university because Bo Schimbeckler is very much the heart and soul of of that entire athletics program well, that he, entire he wants the heart and soul of Michigan right now to me. Uh uh-uh. yeah, yeah. That's fine. I'm when you John Beeline has accomplished more than Bo Schimbeckler ever did. And I don't think that's a hot take to say that. So um proud to have been able to follow along this year. I had the the fortune of being able to cover a few of those games live. Chris, the first time I met you in person was at a Michigan basketball That's game. Right. So it's one of those deals where there's a lot of things about this year that I'll, I'll never forget. And I, you know, whereas the 2013 team, we, I think we knew they'd be pretty good, Yeah. but this year that kind of came out of nowhere. And, yeah. uh, you know, to be able to experience that, to watch a team, here's a novel concept to watch a team, a young team get better from start to finish. Would love to see more of that on the football side of things and, and see it, you know, a young group maximize its talent. But preaching to uh, the choir. And, and we will save we will save our spring football for next week. Uh next week's show will be kind of leading into the spring game, which I cannot believe is already a week from Saturday. It's crazy oh, to me. Oh, Jesus. Feels like uh <laughs> it's been a it's been a quiet off season for Michigan football and and on our next show I'll I'll explain more why I think that's a good thing for them. But uh, I think that's going to do it for us here. A little bit shorter of an episode today. Um, still kind of coming down off of, of basketball. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, you know, I would have loved to get some hockey talk in there, but you know, it's just it's been such a such a ride with the basketball team that I think they deserve their own spotlight today. And um, you know, who knows? Michigan hockey maybe goes out, wins a few games this weekend. We'll talk a national title for them next week, which would be pretty cool to do. So. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, you guys know where to find us on Twitter at Brewcast Show, at Maze and Brew. You can follow Chris at Castellani2014. You can follow Luke at Luke Giardi. Check out our shows on Maze and Brew Podcast on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Subscribe, leave a review, give us all the feedback in the world. Again, I cannot stress this enough. This is a show for you, and I want to deliver, we want to deliver what you want to hear. So, Maybe sometimes what you want to hear isn't going to be movie talk, but I, I think at the, at the end of the day, what uh, what you want and what we're going to strive to give you is is the most genuine reactions and anal- and analysis to, to whatever we talk about. So I want to thank you for your support. Fellas, I want to thank you again for another uh, good session here. Absolutely. We'll talk next time. Absolutely.